I'm Pastor Beth. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We're so glad you could come. So happy to see all of you here today. Um, one of the things I like to do sometimes before the sermon is pray for a certain thing. And today what was put on my heart, and it's kind of funny because I had, it had slipped my mind that we we're having a parent meeting. After church today, there's a parent meeting. A lot of parents have students in the children's ministry here. But what was put on my mind, and it kind of goes with that, is to pray for our families here. Um, a lot of you have a lot of little ones. I'm just beginning to see more and more babies, which is so fun. Um, and there's little noises. And, and I just want you to know, I don't mind the little noises. I love little noises of babies and, and kids. Like, just, it means there's life. That's what it means. It means there's life. So I'm going to ask the parents, any parents of children under, let's just say, sixth grade and under, I'm going to just ask you if you would stand, because I just want us to pray for you. You don't have to do anything. Just stand right where you are. Um, and... Come on, I know there's two right here. Stand, 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 stand. Anybody who's got children, sixth grade, sixth grade and under. Anyone with children, sixth grade and under. Anyone else we're missing? There we go, there we go. All right, and I want everybody else here to just reach out of hand toward one of these families. And we just wanna, we just wanna minister to them for a minute. Let the Lord minister to them. Because there's a lot going on when you got babies and little kids. And a lot of change and transition. We're getting close to summer. There's a lot going on with end of school and um, sports and still nervous about COVID. So we just want to lift them up. We want to minister to these families, Lord God. Would you minister right now to these families? Just pour out upon them, Lord, grace and your love. Lord, they would know that um, what they are doing is so valuable, even though it seems sometimes day to day it's just diapers and food and lunches and meetings and driving people places, that, that it is so valuable what they are doing, that, that you, they are raising up the next generation of people to serve you and, and to bring your kingdom. So Lord, we just pray a blessing over them. I pray extra energy, Lord, when they don't get those steady sleep at night because one of them's throwing up and the other one's crying and whatever, Lord, we just pray for energy and, and, and sleep. We do pray for sleep. We pray for health for their children as they're playing and all around each other and and, um, you know, spreading the germs around, Lord. Just let them be healthy and well, Lord God. And we just pray for the marriages, Lord. This is a strain on a marriage to have lots of little kids and just, you know, to have to negotiate all those things. Would you make these marriages strong, Lord God? And where there are those who are parenting alone, Lord, would you give them strength, Lord, that, that, that even alone they have you as a, as a partner, Lord, in this. And may we partner with those who parent alone, Lord. And I just pray that we as a church could minister to these families, that we could love on them. Lord, we could just care for them. And Lord, would you just meet their need, or even the unspoken need that's right there. Each one of them right now has an unspoken need, a fear, an anxiety. Lord, would you just minister to those needs and to those families. Lord, we love our families, God. We thank you for them. And just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. It's moving. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever jumped out into a lake and swam out a bit and you thought the whole thing was pretty shallow? And then you swim out for a little bit and then suddenly you put your foot down and it goes it does one of these, you know. <laughs> like there's no bottom. 
and you're like, shoot, I'm over my head. And, you're, and your toe's like reaching around for the bottom and you can't seem to feel the bottom. And it's a little bit frightening for a moment there because you're wondering, how far out did I go? How deep really is this? Where is my foundation? Where can I step? And this, I think, is a picture of what happens when we try to seek spiritual help without a foundation of the Word of God. We need the Word of God as a foundation. And we just prayed about a sure foundation. It's the Word. And there's a lot of spirituality out there. There's a lot of practices and, and activities people can do that are helpful for the soul. We're talking about our souls and how to have healthy souls. And there's many things out there that are not necessarily Christian things or secular things that can be helpful to the soul. There's meditation and mindfulness. There's eating well and, and going to the gym and getting healthy in your bodies. There's, there's getting therapy. All of that is really, really good. And, and we should take advantage of everything we have, every medical opi you know, opinion that we have. We should take advantage of that. But what we're talking about in this series is how to have a healthy, whole, resilient soul and a resilient faith in the midst of the ups and downs. We just had a word about the ups and the downs and how do we, how, you know, God's loving us through the ups and downs. How do we have that resilient faith that we feel that, that we know it, that it's real for us? And I believe that we only get there through Jesus. Jesus is the only one that knows you fully. He knows your whole soul, your whole being. He made you. He created you. He created you in his image. He knows what you like, what, you're, what, you, what you fear. He knows how you're made. He knows about your body. He knows everything about you. And so he's the one who can heal us. And you know, there's some things in our life that simply need the touch of God. That no matter of other things heal, only the touch of God. And if our spirits are out of alignment with God, everything is out of alignment, right? It's really like we're on shifting sand. There's no bottom at all. And so this is what we, this is why we seek Jesus. Now, as we talked about last week, it doesn't come automatically when you come to Jesus. Say the prayer and boom, you're now, you're all healthy and good. Doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. Um, it takes time and it takes work in a sense to to develop and to deepen in our faith and have a healthy and resilient soul even good church-going christians can get rocked by the circumstances of life by the ups and downs of life we're not alone but soul care is about building that healthy and resilient faith so that in the ups and downs of life we are able to be strong so we're talking about the word of god today and how important it is for our soul resiliency and i feel like the bible is like that bottom of the lake that we can stand on it gives us the truth about what God is. Um, it, it shows us who he is, who God really is, what he's doing in the world, what he did in the past, what he's doing now, what he's planning to do in the future. It tells us who we are and how we're to interact with him and with each other. It's the foundation. It's kind of the, it is the, it is the bedrock for us to stand upon. And that's how we really know. And, you know, one of the images used in the Bible a lot is an image of food which is a great image when we're talking about soul care because just in the way you have to feed your body with good food, right, for it to be healthy. If all you're eating is McDonald's and Krispy Kreme, that's a problem. <laughs> as tasty as that is, that is a problem, right? Your body is not going to be happy with that after a while. And in the same way, we need food for the soul. We need soul food that is really for our souls, truly for our souls. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you filling your soul with? How much are we filling our soul with Netflix and newscasts from CNN or Fox 
How much are we filling our soul with YouTube videos? Oh man, you can get on the YouTube videos and then they just pull up the next one and then they pull up the next one and then they pull up the next one. And before you know it, 45 minutes has gone by, right? TikTok videos, cute puppy videos. How much are we selling, self filling up our soul with mindless scrolling for our phone, checking for email again, checking for the messages again, flipping through the TV challenges? This is no wonder our souls get sickly and weak. It's like a constant diet of McDonald's and Krispy Kreme. That's what it is for our soul. And so like good food, the word is going to fill us. And God, the Bible says this over and over again. I want to read to you a few scriptures that just talk about the, the Bible as food for us. Isaiah 55, 1 to 2. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Now, lovely. What, what rich imagery. The food of the Bible. 1 Peter 2.2. 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. These babies in there, when they're hungry, this one's now got the pure milk right there. You know, like that's why this one was crying. It was hungry. It needed that milk. Their soul was not fed. And maybe we have learned not to cry when our souls are empty. But we're just like that baby that needs the pure milk of the word. We need to suck it down. We need to have it to be strengthened in our souls. Matthew 4.4, 4, um, uh, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I love that. Part of my job is to feed you. I love cooking a good meal for people. But this is feeding too. See, when you are hearing the preaching of the word, you're getting fed. When you're reading the word, pulling it out in the morning, you're getting fed. When you are meditating on the word and memorizing the word and carrying it around with you all day, you're getting fed. When you're studying the word and getting out a commentary and trying to figure out the background and the culture and the language, you're getting fed in the word. And oh, it's good food. It's going to fill you up. It's going to strengthen you. That's what we need. So now the question might arise, particularly after last week's message where I talked about Sabbath and silence and being with God and listening and all that. You may ask, why do we really need the Bible if we have the Holy Spirit in us? I mean, won't the Spirit just talk to us? And can I just go for a walk in the woods and the Spirit will speak to me? And that will be that. What do I need to get myself into the Bible? And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons that I think of is just that God is perfect and you are not. We think we hear from the word, but not everything we think we hear from God is from God. Let me say that again. Not everything we think we hear from God is from God. Now, don't let that discourage you to try to listen to God. Oh, no, I don't know. How do I know what I am? Well, we'll talk about that. But, but, but let's just be honest and humble about the fact that everything we hear in the night, in the night or in the walk on the woods is not necessarily from God. And everything that someone else says, and they say, I got a word from the Lord, is not necessarily from the Lord. We see this all the time with prophets out there in our world, right? Prophets giving prophecy. You can, oh, don't even type it. You can type in prophecies out in the, in the Google. You get all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's been going on for, for, for decades, centuries probably. The, this is when Jesus is coming back. This candidate's going to win the election. This one, this is what Russia represents in the Bible. This is what Iran represents in the Bible. All this stuff, all these prophecies are out there. And guess what? 
About 90% of them have, have not come true. Am I right? They are not from the Lord. I'm sorry, they're just not. So let's not be gullible and believe everything anybody tells us is a word from the Lord. But at the same time, let's also realize that we also are able to be mistaken. And we need the word. We need the word. We, we will tend to develop faulty thoughts about God if left to ourselves. That's why God gave us, thank God, a standard, his word that we can trust. And we've talked in other messages about why we can trust this. And then we can talk about that if you're like, well, why is this? You know, we can't get that into that today, but, but we can trust this word. It is a foundation for our souls. John 1 says this, the word was with God and the word was God. Interesting. The word was with God. The word was God. And then right after that, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I can't quite explain that. It's not that this Bible, this, these pages, and this actual book is anything particularly special, but these words are Jesus. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh. It's Jesus in here. This is not like a normal book. These are not normal words. It's, it's God's very words to our hearts. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down by, yes, by men who wrote them down, but they are from God to our hearts. And that's a special thing. That should make us just long to get our Bibles out and let's go. Let's go. As my son likes to say, let's go. Let's get into the Word. God does speak to us through His Spirit, but we have to always measure what we hear from the Lord, our prophecies, our, our words of knowledge. If we think God is saying, we always measure it against the standard of the Word. Is it, is it, is it consistent with God's Word? That's the litmus test. Of what we hear and listen studies show over and over again how Christians are not in their Bibles and you know don't, don't feel shame over that but let's just get our hearts excited to get back into the word um, but Christians don't aren't in their Bibles very much Millennials even less like it's just have gotten away from the word and all about our feelings and our feelings are good but we got to get into the word and get that standard that foundation otherwise we are like in that water and then stepping and there's and there's no bottom there's no bottom all right here's some examples of how we can get off on track when we don't know the word well we get a, a, a twisted view of god and this is i think one of the most valuable things about the word is that we start to see who god is we get to really learn about who he is um for example, if we don't know our Bibles, some of us may have grown up and may still feel that God is somewhat of a harsh and unyielding God. That when we sin, he's mad. That he's kind of mad at you if you're not doing the right thing. That he's harsh, that he's punishing. That that's the kind of God, maybe you've heard about that in church, maybe that's the way your parents talked about it. Maybe that's you, just, you just came up with that on your own. But you, you, maybe you think that way about God, that he is never quite pleased with what you do. And so now what happens? Remember, we're talking about resiliency in life, right? When the ups and downs of life. What happens in life when you try to be in relationship with somebody? A spouse or friend? You're not going to trust that they're going to be there for you because you think, if I screw up one thing, they're going to be mad. They're going to be happy. Right? You're going to have a hard time with intimacy. We're going to also possibly have a lot of guilt and shame because we're always going to think that we've done something wrong. And so we're going to think either I'm a, become a perfectionist, i got to get it all right every time, I'm going to be in trouble, if I don't get it all right, if it, gets wrong, if it goes wrong, I'm in trouble. Or we do the opposite thing, we say, well, the heck, oh, <laughs> I can't succeed, and so we just do whatever we want. You see how having a faulty view of God then creates an unresilient soul. 
an unhealthy soul. Let's take another example. Some of us may have grown up or think about God as kind of a Santa Claus guy. He loves to give you presents. And so you come to Jesus and it's all blessing all the time. He's just going to give you, give you peace and prosperity and good things happen and health. He wants you to be healed. So everything's just going to go hunky-dory if you just come to Jesus because he's a Santa Claus guy. And so the problem, of course, you can probably see with this kind of view of God is that what happens when things go wrong? What happens when someone dies after you've prayed and prayed for them? What happens when we get stuck in COVID for two years? What happens when bad things happen to us? It's not supposed to happen. I thought God was supposed to bless me. And so we're rocked. So many, so many times do I see people completely rocked when things go wrong because we think it wasn't supposed to happen. Well, who said? That's a faulty view of God. We think that God is here. I'll tell you what he's here for later. But, but right now, that is, that is based on a lie that somehow our lives are supposed to be without any, any pain or suffering. That's just simply not what this Bible teaches us about God. Finally, some of us have a political savior God. That we think that God is going to come and make our nation right and make everything right. And he's going to take care of things. And, and um, so we, we, we've, you know, we're all into whatever political party thing we're into, whatever political news we're into. We're all posting stuff on Facebook about this candidate and that candidate is God's person. This is God's candidate. And if they just get in there, whatever, we, whatever they say about immigration or abortion or racism or whatever issue it is, that's the way. That's God's way. And they've got to get in. They're going to get into office. They're going to change this country. It's going to be, we're going to be, you know, be able to have a Christian nation. All of this stuff. We get all of that in our minds. And it's fed to us by other sources. But what happens? Again, this is about a resilient soul. What happens when our candidate doesn't win? What happens when uh, it doesn't go the way we think it should go? What happens when the world gets more secular and our, suddenly it is harder to be a Christian out in the workplace or in the marketplace or, or in schools? What happens? And I speak to so many people who are disheartened and frightened for our nation. And they're frightened for the way things are going. And they're frightened for, you know, what, how, what's going to happen if we can't, we can't, you know, express our faith. Why isn't God stopping this? He's supposed to stop this. This God's candidate, God's way, it's got it's to it's win. And guess what? That's also based on a faulty view of God. That's not in our Bibles. It's not in our Bibles. That's the way it's going to go down. All of these scenarios are very different if you know about the God of the Bible. See, if you know about the God of the Bible, you'd realize he is not a harsh, unyielding God. Yes, he cares about sin, and he's holy, but he also loves you with an everlasting love. We just heard it read this morning. He just, he loves you with an everlasting love. He calls you to himself. He looks at you and he wants to pour out grace upon grace on you. He loves you. No matter what you have done or what you're sitting there thinking that you are a sinner, he loves you just as you are. And he wants to walk with you and bring you into a new life. That's the God of the Bible. He's also not a Santa Claus God. The word talks a lot about suffering, about Christian suffering, about difficult losses. He doesn't promise us a peaceful, perfectly healthy life. Here's what he promises, that he's going to walk with us. He's going to be with us. That he will show his glory and his power. Sometimes he will heal. Sometimes he will do supernatural things to change the situation. But other times he just walks with you in it. And you will have the peace of God that passes all understanding because he's with you. And finally, you'd realize that God is not a political savior. In fact, there's very little in this Bible about the government and politics. There's an awful lot about unity. And serving one another and helping the poor and 
and realizing that even if our world never improves, if it all gets worse, if it gets really hard to be a Christian, if the government kind of falls apart, yeah, it's a bummer, but guess what? We are kingdom people. We have a God who loves us and we walk with him. And guess what? This world is not our home. This is just, we're just passing through. So do you see how knowing the word is so stabilizing? Nothing can shake us. We, we prayed, we sang that. But we will not be shaken. Why? Because we know the God of this book. We know him and he is good and he is steadfast and he is real and he is with you no matter what is going on in the ups and downs of life. Amen. Can I get amen for that? I mean, amen. All right. So, you know, someone once said that bad theology is a cruel taskmaster. And what that means is that when we have bad theology, it makes life harder. It's like having a cruel taskmaster. When we know what Jesus is really like, man, can I say this? The truth will set you free. It's not just set, get set free in our spirits with God. It sets you free in life. We don't, our fears start to go away steady in the storm. We can walk along other side, other people with their storms. So I hope this is getting you excited about getting into your word, that this is going to be part of your soul care. Our soul care is to get be in the word a lot. Um, I want to talk about three things that God does for us when we get into the word, and we're going to, we're going to get into a, a little passage from Luke 24. This is right after Jesus' resurrection, and he comes alongside two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. For whatever reason, he's kind of closed their eyes, so they don't know it's Jesus, and they're blabbing on about how Jesus was here, and then he died, and then, then the girls and women thought that he you know, was raised, and, and so they were talking to him about this, and he's just listening, and here's what he says to them. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Love this passage. The Bible tells us the who and the what and the why. This is the who. See, Jesus was telling the man that all the scriptures point to him. So let me just give you a very, very simple thing to get excited about reading the word. Just look for Jesus in it. No matter what you're reading, just open it up and start to look for Jesus. Read it. Look for Jesus in the Old Testament. He's in there. Just a little hidden. Look in the New Testament. Start to look for Jesus. What is he like? What does he do? Read the Gospels. What is he, what is he doing in there? What does he say? What does he care about? What's important? Did you just look for Jesus? You get just so excited about the word. You'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm getting to know who Jesus is. It's, it's a great way to do this. In fact, this would be a great thing to do with a friend. You don't have to be in a life group. You don't have to have a formal mentoring relationship. Just call up a friend and say, hey, you want to read through John together? And let's just, every chapter, let's have a phone call or a Zoom call or get together for coffee. And let's just talk about what was Jesus like in that? What's, what would Jesus do? What, what was he like? What's God like? What am I learning about from just that passage? Read Ephesians. Read, read Genesis. Whatever. Read, read the word together. It's a great thing to do. You may be surprised that the God you find when you actually read the Bible is different from the God you actually thought you knew. 
I say that again. But you actually find when you start to really read the Bible, maybe different than the God you thought you knew. I'm always fascinated when people say to me, the God of the Old Testament is really harsh and wrathful and mean and everything, and the God of the New Testament is all love and, and, and goodness. And when someone says that, I know they don't read their Bible. <laughs> because I'm always astonished when I go into the Old Testament and there's so much of the love of God in there. The passage that Relisa read about being with us forever is in the Old Testament. I have plans for you, plans for hope and a future. That's in the Old Testament. I love you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with cords of human kindness. That's in the Old Testament. God loves his people, and he always has. And so that's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the Psalms. It's all over Song of Solomon. It's all over the Old Testament. And then if you go to the New Testament, Jesus ain't no pushover. <laughs> He's got some harsh moments. He's got some strong moments. He doesn't mess around. So if we know the Bible, then we will know who, they, who God is. If we start reading the Bible, we will start to see who he is. And we may not have realized who he really was until we got into his word. The Bereans were a church in Acts, planted by Paul, who took it seriously. And it says this in Acts 17, uh, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They didn't take for granted what even the great Apostle Paul was telling them. So please don't take for granted what you were taught growing up. Don't take for granted what previous pastors of yours have taught. Don't take for granted what I teach you. Don't take for granted what you're listening to on TV, whether it's Andy Stanley or T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or whoever it is you like to listen to. I don't care who it is. Test it against the Word. So you got to know the Word. You have to be a student of the word. Learn from all these folks. Of course, they all have good things, but, but get, you've got to get in the word yourself. We have got to know this word. So that's the who. We learn about who God is from, from the Bible. The second thing is the what. The Bible shows us what we're supposed to do. It guides us in our obedience to him. Who, who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? And like, what is God? What will help us to, to live the way we're meant to live? See, he designed us built you cell by cell, and he knows how you're meant to live, and so this is how we figure it out as we, we begin to go into the Word. And here's, here's the truth. I think I'm a pretty good Christian until I start reading the Word more carefully. <laughs> Anybody else relate to that? I mean, then you read, like, consider others better than yourselves. I'm like, better? <laughs> I love y'all, but I mean, better? Do nothing with crumbling or complaining. Hello. <laughs> now, some of us get around this, and we say things like, well, you know, we don't really know what the Bible means, really, because it's kind of complicated, and, you know, there's all these interpretations, and different languages, and different cultures, so if we don't really, really know what it means, it's very hard to understand. And I will grant you that there are some passages in the scripture that are hard to understand, that we don't really know what they mean. We have to, you know, that we maybe never will know, right? There's many. I want to say something else. About 95% of what's in here, you can understand perfectly well. <laughs> I'm going to just give you a smattering of what is some very clear things in the scripture. So the one I just quoted. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There we go. Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Right there. No lying. Just stop lying. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do everything without complaining or arguing. <clears throat> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Do I need to go on? <laughs> Was there anything unclear about any of that? Did anyone have need a translation of any of this? The cultural background? I'm being funny, but I mean, so much of this is clear as bell, and God has given us it to us to live. And here's the thing. I know some of you are like, I try this, and I can't do it, and I understand that. I can't either, actually. Um, we live under the grace of God, okay? This is not a performance thing that we've got to check all these off or God's mad at us. Then we're back to that harsh and unyielding God that I said was not the God of the Bible. But he knows that this is, this is how we're going to grow. If we start to look at this word and say, you know what, I am complaining all the time. I can hear myself complaining when I'm lying in bed at night. I, I complain the first thing I get up in the morning. I actually do, because I always complain that, oh, I don't want to get up. <laughs> it's, the first, it's the first thing I say. So can we just work on that? <laughs> you know, just work on that. Let's just start. And we cannot do this alone. All right, church, this is why God gave us his Holy Spirit within us and a relationship with him that is empowering and motivating and filled with love. Yeah. It's just like when you love someone, you love to do things for them and with them and be a better person for them. It makes you better, right? That's just, this is how it is with Jesus. He loves you and he wants that closeness with you. And we know that this is how we can begin to grow and be more like Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we want. And here's the thing. Not doing this sin, disobedience, and ignoring God's commands is, it's going to create a log jam in your soul. It's like clogging the pipes. It's like if you have a fight with your spouse and you don't resolve it, you're all both still mad. Well, there's like something hanging over the house right now, right? There's like a tension. There's a, there's a, clog, a clog in the drain. And, and, and while it's not that God turns his back on us, that relationship is strained when we are deliberately walking away from what he says. That's what it means in Isaiah when it says our iniquity separates us from God. It creates that blockage. And we don't want that. Prayers even, the scripture says, are blocked by our sin. These are sobering verses. Proverbs 28.9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. James 4, 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, all of this does damage to our souls. So let us take obedience seriously. Let's listen to the word of God. We've got to be in the word and know what it is we're supposed to do. And we, we're not going to do it all at once. And we can't do it on our own. We need to lean on him. We need to be calling on him. But we need to be in the word and knowing what it is we are going to do. I wanted to ask the question, and this is a good question to ask ourselves. What was the last thing that God told me to do, and have I done it? See, I think sometimes we have a dryness in our soul and in our walk with Christ because he's told us something, and we were like, well, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so I'm going to do this and this and this. I'll feed this person, and I'll help this person, and I'll pray for this person, but I'm not going to do that. Guess what? Your soul's going to feel lousy because he said to you, let's do this. So I just encourage us to do our part by getting into the word, by knowing it. I love um, Psalm 119. It's not up there, but I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, when we have the word in us, it helps us. We're reminded of it. 
Um, it prompts us to get back on our knees and ask Jesus to help us as we want to walk with him. So it gives us the what. Last passage on this, James 1.25. But ever, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's his word, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, that's We find out the what in the scriptures. Finally, and maybe most importantly, I don't know, I think they're all pretty important, but the Bible shows us a why. Why in the word? It stirs our hearts to love for God, to joy in him. At the end of the day, reading the Bible is so that we deepen in our relationship with him. It's discovering him. It's encountering him in his word. It's to stir our souls. Uh, if we return one last time to the story of the, the disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, I love what they say at the end. Did you catch that? They said, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? And I read that this week, and I was like, When's the last time my heart burned at the reading of God's word? When's the last time it just burned with joy, with excitement, with amazement? I went to seminary a number of years ago, and people like to joke that um, they call seminary going to cemetery. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that. Um, but, uh, you know, because, you know, supposedly the academic study of the Bible and everything can just suck all the life out of your, you know, your actual spiritual life. I'm happy to say that was not the case for me. In fact, it was the reverse. That the more I learned about the word and, and even all the details, the culture, the archaeology and the language and all that stuff, the more I learned about it, the more excited about God's word I got. Because it's so beautiful and rich and so complex. There's so many connections, so many echoes of truth from the beginning of time all the way to the end. Ribbons, threads that run through all of scripture. It's like covenant, the covenant that God made at the first with Adam and Eve, and then with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then with Moses and David, and then you know, coming into the new covenant with Jesus in his blood, all the way through the, the echoes of it. Themes like redemption that are all through the scripture, that God is a redeeming God over and over and over. He's always redeeming and restoring, redeeming redeeming and restoring. He rebirthed us through Noah. He came through Abraham and chose his people and redeemed his people through, through, through being the people of Israel. He redeemed them by freeing them from slavery in Egypt and bringing them into a new land, a promised land full of milk and honey. He redeemed them through the rebuilding of the temple, even after it was completely demolished. It was a rebuilding of the temple as the exiles came back. He redeemed us through Jesus coming for us and dying on the cross for us. This redemption and restoring and renewing that's all through the word of God. There's also themes like grace. God's consistent, amazing love for us that goes all the way from the beginning. He, he formed us in his image. We weren't meant to be his slaves or just work for him. No, we're meant to be in his image and in relationship with him. He walked with Adam in the garden. From the very start, he wanted relationship and love and grace for you. And that carried all the way through the grace that he's shown through the nation of Israel as they as they sinned over and over again and were idolatrous over and over again. And he kept saying, I, you know, I will come back to you. I'm coming back to you. Come back to me. Come back to me and I will forgive and I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing over and over and over again. Until finally, even while they were in exile, he saved a remnant that he cared for, and he brought them back. Finally, he created this church, us, to be examples of his grace, ones that are so simple, we can barely even do anything on our own, and yet God says, I'm pouring my grace upon you, I'm going to make you a new creation, and give you a new life, and a new heart within you that was predicted back in old. It's all there, it's all throughout the scriptures, it's all there, themes like the glory of God. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit just, you know, coming together and just creating the whole thing. 
just decided we're going to make this universe, we're going to make this world, and they, they came together and they did that. And then all throughout the Old Testament, you see the power and the glory and the might of God through visions from Daniel, through miracles from Elisha and Elijah, all the way through to Jesus, who then, of course, himself is a miracle, right? The, full, you know, the incarnation, fully God, fully man, coming, healing, healing, delivering, teaching, and then not only that, got nailed to a cross, and then what happened after that? He was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Amen? That's the glory of God. That is all in this book, people. I don't know that because I know it. I know it because we live in the Word and because that's true, and it's so amazing. And all of this is for us. It's for you and me. So we might know Him, this God who is all greatness and all glory, but also cares so much about all of you, every one of us, and cares about me, every minor thing, every pain, every tear is saved in a bottle. That's, that's what we, we get in this word, 66 books and 40 authors and multiple genres and millennia and languages. This is what he gives us in this word. Hallelujah. Is your heart burning yet? My heart's burning because this is a good word, and it is so rich, and it's so beautiful, and it's there for all of, um, all of us. And then there's even more, because not only just knowing all that is true, but then it speaks. The word is living and active, dividing joints and marrow. It speaks. It speaks to us. It's not like any other book. I have a bookshelf full of books that are great books written by amazing anointed authors, and I've learned so much and sometimes been transformed by some of those books. But then I read this word and I go, ah, wow. It's different. There's, there's life in this word. Haven't you ever read a passage that you've read a million, zillion times in Ephesians or something? And then you go, oh, I never saw that before. How is that possible after decades of studying the same passages? And yet God brings a new thing. It's fresh manna every time. It's alive. It is living. It is active in your life. heart's got to be burning by now. So we got to get in the Word. If we're going to do that, a couple things that make it easier, better. One is simply to invite the Holy Spirit into your reading. It's just something I often forget. I just go, okay, i got to read my Bible here, uh, chapter 29. You know, I forget to stop for a second and just say, Holy Spirit, take a couple deep breaths. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal yourself to me in your Word. That's the first thing. Just, just open up your heart to him because he wants to speak in that living way through it to you. But second of all, I like to tell people, read big swaths of the Bible. Like read the whole book of, just decide, well, now I'm going to read the whole book of Ephesians. It'll literally take you, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe, maybe half hour if you're a slow reader. I mean, it's not a big book. There's lots of small books that you can read all the way through. You could read through chunks of Isaiah or Genesis or whatever you want, Psalms. You know, but read big swaths. I, I you know, I know lots of us love devotionals, and devotionals are great, but what's a devotional these days usually? It's one tiny little verse at the top, and some guy's explanation for a whole bunch of paragraphs under that. And often it's good, and often that scripture is good, but we don't get the whole context, we don't get, and we're getting more of whatever this guy thinks about this verse than we're getting in the Bible. So I'm not saying don't use a devotional. Go ahead and use devotional. I use devotionals. I think they're great. But we also need to be in just reading the word, just getting big swaths of it. And you get that kind of the fabric of the warp and weft of the word, right? The fabric of it, the whole epic story you get to read when you read the whole word. I read the chronological Bible, um, and it was great because it put it 
temple in chronological order. I understood the Old Testament and all that stuff, the wars and all the kings and all that better than ever, having read that. We get through the whole Bible sometime. You don't have to do it in one year. That's real hard. But if you're motivated, do it. But read it through. Get to Leviticus at some point in your Christian life. I'm sorry. I know it's not a lot of fun. But read it. Read it. Fix was. And the second thing is kind of the opposite, which is now meditate on small bits. Take little bits of the Bible, little bits of the Word, a verse, a couple verses, a passage, and just read it. If you don't know how to do Lectio Divina, come talk to me or one of the board members about how you just can come and just read the Word, read a small portion of it, read it again slowly, ask the Lord to speak to you through it, and see what word or words kind of pop out from it for you, and then meditate on those words. Just let the Lord speak to you through that. You'll get something different every, every time you do it, because God will speak to you through his word. Do it in community. That's why I love life groups. You get to get in the word together and read, about, read the Bible together and talk about it. Um, I'm always amazed. Again, book, books of the Bible that I've read a million times, you do it in the Bible study, and someone says, oh, I think this, this makes me think about this and this and this, and I'll think I've never thought of that. So it's just so fun. It's so fun because you get to hear what, how other people interact with the word so different from yourself. And then finally, we can't forget this. We've got to put it into practice. We've got to put it under what happened in my slide. Let's see. Oh, we're, we're like lost. Where are we? Uh, where are we? We're way past this. Yeah. There we go. There we go. We've got to put it into practice. That's the last thing, of course. We don't want to be just readers of the word. But we want to do it. We want to put it into practice in our life. When you test out God's word for your life, it works. It's transforming. So I'll just end with this. Remember that image of jumping into the lake and, and fishing around for the, for the bottom and, and you can't find it? What's that feel like when finally you hit the solid sand? That feels good, right? You're like, okay, now I'm good. Even if the water's up to here, you're like, I know where the bottom is now. Solid, you're on a solid foundation. The waves can come a little bit, but you know your feet are going to come back down. You can ride the wave, but then you can come back down. You don't have to tread water anymore. You can find traction. God's word is a lamp unto our feet. A lamp, a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. We need to be on the solid foundation of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, I just thank you for your holy, holy word. Lord, we're just amazed by how you how you created this book that is your words over centuries and centuries, millennia, all those 40 authors hearing from you, different tones of voice, different languages, different cultures, and yet, Lord, your truth runs through all of it. Your truth emerges out of all of it. Lord, we can never the depths of it. Lord, for our whole life we've been studying. I've heard people say, I, I studied, you know, professors who study it deeply, deeply their whole life and they still don't get to the end of it. Lord, we'll never get to the end of your truth and of your word. So Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. It's a lamp into our feet and a light to our path. We just want to take a moment. I want us to take a moment just to, just to reflect on what God's been saying to you. Maybe some things you want to just remember, take with you today. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer team and the communion team to come up now, too, because we're going to go into communion. But I just would like us to have a moment of silence. We just let God speak to us.
brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. say, God, I believe this. I believe that you died for my sins, and I want to Thank you. 